It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now entering a critical thinking zone. zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Happy Fish Fry Friday to you all. If you're watching on Rumble, you know... I am flying solo today, that's right. Whatever uh, little stomach bug I had yesterday that prevented us from doing the show, apparently telepathy has taken over, and Pat now has one as well. Uh, so Pat has the day off, but I didn't want to go just three episodes this week. So we're going to be together solo. You can find me on the social media channels of your choice. I am at The Coppin Show, unless it's Instagram, and that is where you can find at Critical Thinking Show. All right, so if we're flying solo today, and and that's the truth, I I am with you by myself, what are we going to do on this Fish Fry Friday? Well, of course, I am going to give you the best and worst of the week, and Pat has let me know what his best and worst of the week were, so I'm going to be able to present that to you. We'll still, of course, crown a brand new Richard of the week, and we'll throw the worst of the week into the fryer, of course, So come along with me on this fine journey into critical thinking. So do not forget, you can download the show, rate, review, subscribe via podcast, whatever platform you would like. Um, Apple Podcast, very popular, obviously. Stitcher, um, I believe we're also on iHeartRadio and Spotify and so many other places um, that our wonderful distribution channels allow us to be on. And, of course, you can always watch the show on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Again, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. So, up front here, let's get into the best stories of the week. And I'm going to start with Pat's best story of the week. And um, this, this one is for all the guys out there. This one is for all of the guys out there because there is much rejoicing in the world of, of guidum, if you will, at least for people that are my age or around my age and close to Pat's age, the news 
that the GOAT, Tom Brady, and his supermodel wife, Giselle Bundchen, separated, getting a divorce. Much rejoicing. Shoot your shot. Much like, apparently, Zach Wilson allegedly, infamously did with some other people's mothers. Well, um, the internet was fun this week uh, when that news broke. And here's Pat's best story of the week. Yes, that is a story of Zach Wilson telling Giselle, at Giselle Official, to give him a call sometime. If you're not watching, you need to be because uh, that's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. Zach Wilson, if you don't know, is alleged to have uh, tried to go after one of his mother's uh, friends. Um, so he likes them a little bit older, but also, um, Giselle Bunchen is probably top five, right? Top five, um, for anybody that's my age. And, uh, the fact that Tom Brady couldn't figure out how to, to keep her happy when it was really simple, um, stop playing football, come home and be with the kids. How hard of a request is that to say yes, dear, to how, how dumb do you have to be if you're Tom Brady? Seriously, dude, how dumb are you? Giselle? You're, you're going to divorce Giselle. Okay. I'm going to go with top five dumbest things I've ever seen a man do in my entire life. But hey, you do you, Tom Brady. I'm sure plenty of women will be flocking your direction. But my God, dude, really? A, re a simple request of hang up the cleats after, I don't know what, a 25-year career? Is that really an unreasonable request? You're 45 years old, dude. Come on. It can't be that difficult. It cannot be that difficult. There are greater things in life. Like, I don't know, a happy wife, happy life. Just saying. Now, for the rest of us, um, this will be an interesting time uh, to see what happens with Giselle as uh, she turns single. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens here. I'm a happily married man, so not not going to worry about it on my end. Also, ain't no way in hell that happening. But um, there are a lot, a lot of people my age going, hmm, okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Giselle does going forward. That is for sure. Now, that was Pat's best story of the week. My best story of the week also involves a picture, so I would suggest highly, highly, that you take a second and go to the Rumble page. Again, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Because my best story of the week um, is a story about the aftermath of Hurricane Ian in Florida. And we know that a lot of the barrier islands in the southwest part of that state got battered. Siesta Key, um, Sanibel Island. But one of the islands that got the most... Destruction to it was Pine Island. In fact, um, one of the most infamous pictures is literally the causeway between the mainland and Pine Island just completely gone, just destroyed. In fact, here is a picture of Pine Island being destroyed. Okay? Uh, so what you're seeing here is just literally underwater, completely gone, homes just scattered and strewn about, Absolute insanity. Well, the good news, if you've been watching on Rumble, is that 
in four days, this thing that was completely destroyed, just gone, right? Utterly gone, completely destroyed. It is back and rebuilt. That's right, in four days. Now, here's a picture, well, a video of Pine Island Publix going through. You got trucks going through to deliver supplies and goods, right? Here it is. What you also need to know, as we see all those public trucks going over that causeway, is two things. There are two things that you need to know in addition to the fact that it took just four days for them to completely rebuild that section of the causeway and get them going. Okay? Four days to do that. Two things that you need to know here. The leftists have been going crazy about that. And it had nothing to do with government. You see, local companies and local resources were used. All the bureaucratic bullcrap, all of the red tape, all of the things that normally go into some sort of project like this throughout the country, especially places like here in Chicago. I can't imagine the bureaucratic red tape that it would take to, to rebuild a bridge that would have been destroyed. Um, maybe a bridge over over the Chicago River or whatever have you. I can't imagine the red tape that it would take to get through to do something like this. But Florida managed to figure out through private enterprise how to rebuild this quickly so that supplies and um, the rebuild of the rest of the island that is completely and utterly destroyed can happen. They figured a way forward without government. It is unbelievable what took place here. And the, the decrying of the leftists is somehow that Ron DeSantis is taking credit for what? Because the, the bridge was quote-unquote mostly fine, except for it really wasn't. And a local company, not the government, did the work. Okay, memo to leftists. That is the point of libertarian thought and large parts of conservative thought is less government, you get results. More government, you don't get these results. Ron DeSantis allowed government to get the hell out of the way, so you give him credit for just getting out of the way. Because most government... Republican or Democrat, would want to get in the way here. He got the hell out of the way. A local company came in, did the work, rebuilt the causeway, got shit done. And ultimately, that's really what ticks off the leftists. Because what does this really show? And why do I say this is my best story of the week, folks? Why do I show you that? And why do I say that? Because what does this show? It shows that government getting out of the way, allowing private ingenuity, private business, free markets to work, works. And it, that is antithetical to leftism, right? 
to the leftists, to the socialist crowd, however you want to define it, okay, to that crowd, government must be at the center of everything that is done, every single thing. Government must be the arbiter. Government must be the, the builder, the planner, everything to do with this project. This project shows government getting out of the way, not being involved, gets results. It shows that government is a barrier to success rather than the answer to success. And for leftists, that's the head-exploding moment, is we cannot have Iran DeSantis, who gets out of the way. We cannot have a highlighted project that shows government isn't the answer because they have taken for the last 50, 60 years, certainly for my entire lifetime, almost 41 years on this earth, they have painstakingly attempted to condition us that government will provide. Government is the answer. Government this, government that. The public-private partnerships of the American Red Cross or FEMA. Well, guess what? And guess which organizations are actually doing the vast majority of the work on the ground there? You've got publics, a private company, going in and doing the things it needs to get done for the people of Florida that they serve as a business every single day. You've got Team Rubicon, a private, albeit not-for-profit business, but a private business going in and cleaning up and recovery and rescue missions and all of those things. Is that the purview of the American Red Cross? Is the American Red Cross sitting there and doing uh, recovery missions? Hell no, they're not. The American Red Cross is sucking off of all of your, um, you know, you saw it on Sunday uh, on the NFL uh, donations. It turns out that when you get the government and the public-private partnership of an organization like the American Red Cross the hell out of the way, private enterprise, ingenuity, and community win. Well, community is is public, yes, but when private businesses and private people decide to benefit their own locality, that's that's the point of libertarianism. That is the point of free markets. Find a problem, fix it, provide a solution, and see if it works. That's the point. That is the whole point of how businesses exist. What's the problem? What's the solution? Provide the solution. That it's as simple as that. What what role does the government have to play in this? Now, the role that I think government might have to play in this is to do what? To verify the safety of it eventually. But what company is going to do this to cut costs, especially since it's a local business and a local company doing this. 
So I applaud that ingenuity. I applaud all of it. 100% my best story of the week for three reasons. Number one, it is allowing people to get back to recovering and figuring out a way forward on Pine Island. Number two, it shows government that gets out of the way allows for a sped up process. And number three, it ticks the leftists off because it's just another reminder that free markets over government control, that that ticks them off all day, every day. And I'm here for ticking off leftists with results, with W's. I'm going to hang W's on leftists all day, every day when I can. That's the truth. That's the, the truth of the matter for me. All right, so with the best stories of the week out of the way, where are we going to go? What are we going to do here? Well, of course, since we don't have the B or not the B today, we're going to go right in to crowning a brand new Richard of the Week. All right, so Richard of the Week, you know the drill by now, the biggest Richard of the Week. We've got four nominees. The four nominees this week, Joe Biden, Joseph Marionette Biden, for you don't bleep with a Biden, except for the Saudis and, and OPEC, and we'll get into that in a moment. We've got Vladimir Putin for continuing to threaten uh, escalation, if you will, of the war in Ukraine and nuclear war and all sorts of craziness, likely sabotaging the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, all sorts of craziness. We've got Panya Kamrap for killing dozens of young children for no apparent reason in Thailand. That's pretty Richard-like. And then we have Anthony, excuse me, the science, trademark, the truth, registered trademark, Lord, Savior, President, Dr. Anthony Fauci for multiple absolute gaslighting moments this week as he spoke to the wonderful people at the Washington Post. Who's going to win? Normally, I would say threatening nuclear war um, and continuing the escalation of the rhetoric towards that. Whether that's from Joseph Marionette Biden, who yesterday told us that this is the greatest threat of nuclear and biological war since 1962. Now, he would know because he was alive in 1962. And like alive as in probably like in his tens at that point. Um Normally, I would say those two people have a very large shot at winning. However... This week's Richard of the Week is Panya Kamrap, or Rap, Rap, yep, Kamrap of Thailand. He is a former police officer, alleged, and I don't know why we're using the term alleged, because the dude is dead, by the way, but he terrorized a daycare center in a northeastern part of Thailand killing at least 37 people, including himself. Now, according to reports, former Sergeant Panya Kamrap, 
Uh, 34. He entered a room at the Child Development Center in Nongbu Lampu province around noon, likely searching for his two-year-old stepson who was often placed in care there. But his two-year-old stepson was not there that day. Rather than leaving, though, he immediately began attacking teachers and children. One, uned- uh, one unidentified employee of the child care center said that I suddenly heard the sound. Just, uh, It just sounded like firecrackers. So I looked back, and two staffs just collapsed on the floor. Then he pulled another gun from his waist, the person added. I didn't expect he would also kill the kids. Now, warning, if you are sensitive to this sort of uh, talk, um, it's about to get worse. So, three, two, one. But further, according to the Blaze, um, that's exactly what he did. Police say that he then shot and stabbed nearly two dozen napping children, most of them aged three and younger. Kimrap opened fire while the kids were sleeping, claimed Major General uh, Jirop. Prudit of the Thai Central Investigation Bureau. Every child in that room except for one, every child in that room except for one died in the attack. Witnesses claim that Kamrop did not say anything before or during the ambush. After he left, the Child Development Center police say that he returned home, murdering his wife and stepson before turning the gun on himself. Now, one of the care workers at the facility who died was also a woman who was eight months pregnant. The sick part of this is that we're also seeing leftists attempt to try to use the sea gun control, except for <clears throat> the vast majority of the, the children that were killed were killed via stabbing wounds. The suspect's wife and stepson have been included in the death toll, by the way. Unclear whether it came rap as, as well. What the hell? Now, this dude is bad. He is a former policeman, and I say former because he was dismissed a year ago under suspicion of being a narcotics dealer. He has been charged with selling narcotics and appeared in court earlier on Thursday morning. The purpose of the court hearing and what happened during it are unclear at this at, at the time of this printing, but um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Something snapped, something went insane in this individual. To to kill innocent children for what? And to do so in the manner of stabbing them. It is such a personal crime. It is such a horrific thing to think through. I mean, you imagine that? A three-year-old just sitting there napping, innocent life, and just murdered to death. Can't get any more Richard than that. And it also belongs in the fryer. That is for sure. Speaking of which, I think it is time for us to get into the fryer. Because we've got more terrible, brutal news. <clears throat> Again, according to the blaze in this one, brutal Mexican massacre leaves 20 dead near Acapulco, including Mayor. Hmm. And here's why this goes into the fryer, because it says here, the mayor's father may have been in league with the gang that is responsible. On Wednesday in San Miguel Totoplan, a municipality in the southwestern Mexican state of Guerrero, roughly five hours away from both Mexico City and Acapulco, 
terrorists killed 20 people and wounded three more. Mayor Carnado Mendoza Almeida and his father, the former mayor, were among those targeted in the massacre. Now, two groups of gunmen wearing face coverings arrived in SUVs. They carried out simultaneous attacks at the city hall and at private residence. In the first instance, they interrupted a meeting between the mayor and city officials, writing, uh, riddling all participants and the building enclosed uh, in, in the building and closing them with bullets. Mexico's Assistant Secretary of Public Safety, Ricardo Mejia, stated, quote, This act occurred in the context of a dispute between criminal gangs. The BBC reported in 2020 that this uh, is a claim often repeated by Mexican politicians. That is to say, this is their boilerplate standard. We're trying to cover this up. And it says here that the Los Tacaleros gang claimed responsibility for the massacre. Los Tacaleros is affiliated, affiliated with the Jalisco Nueva Generaciono cartel and is in an ongoing dis territorial dispute with the Familia Michicana gang in the region. Mahaya indicated that the Tocaleras dominated the region for some time, kidnapping, extorting, murdering, smuggling, and distrib uh, distributing opiates. Evelyn Salgado Pineda, the governor of Guerrero, condemned the attack and indicated there would be no impunity for those who committed this aggression against the municipal president and local government officials. Now, of course, the leftist party affiliated with Almeida, issued a statement saying it condemns the cowardly murder and its members demand justice. It is unclear if Almeida knew his killers, but his father, also gunned down on Wednesday, had encountered them before. Turns out that in 2015, after the June 7th Guerrero state elections, in which Almeida's father was himself elected mayor, a video circulated online wherein Mendoza Acosta could be seen drinking with members of the Los Tacaleros gang. The gangsters indicated Mendoza had been elected with their help. Just as we made you win, also give us a hand. When asked whether he would work with them, Mendoza replied, we will. I will never work with other chochos meaning other gangs. One month prior to the election, Mendoza had been kidnapped, but released shortly thereafter. Now, this is terrible, terrible, terrible all the way around. And my question is, when is enough enough for the Mexican government? When is enough enough to start clearing these out? These are not like your bloods and crypts of the 90s. These are not your, you know, local street gang BS groups. These are people dealing with heavy quantities of drugs, especially fentanyl, coming from that region. These are people poisoning the American well. These are people poisoning Mexican society. These are people killing indiscriminately. At what point in time does the Mexican government clean up their act? At what point in time does the Mexican federal government step in and do something? Oh, wait. It is corrupt. It is bought out. It is wholly owned by these cartels. These cartels have so much power in Mexico that government really is not in control. But my question is then, how do you get control? And what about the argument from some on both the left and the right here in America that America has a duty to act here? America 
has a duty to clean this up. Because ultimately, whom is being harmed the most? It's Americans. Why? They smuggle people. They put illegal immigrants. They're the coyotes. They're the people putting the poison of fentanyl into our system here in America. And if the Mexican government won't do it, do we have a responsibility to do it? Also, do we have a responsibility to lessen the impact of these types of individuals? And what do I mean by that? Well, do we have a responsibility to look at our laws and our immigration system and our systems that may be contributing to these problems on the border in the other country? Because are we creating magnets for this behavior? Are we creating an environment in which these people gain the power, gain the wealth, gain the things that can gain the system down there? I'm not advocating for any one position here. I think it is critical that we have these conversations here in America. I think it is critical that we look at our systems. I would argue our immigration system is indeed broken and is a magnet for these illegal types of activities. How do you lessen the impact of that? How do you make sure that these people aren't making tens of thousands of dollars every single immigrant that they can get over the border? You make it much easier for people to legally get here. That's how you do it. You make that the case and you make the punishment for illegally coming here so severe that people think twice about it. That is my argument when it comes to immigration. When it comes to the war on drugs here, my argument is that we've been trying this and trying this and trying this and what 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 have we one, what have we gained from this? The cartels in Mexico are stronger than ever. They're more dangerous than ever. They're more powerful than ever. They have more dangerous weapons. They just are clearly indiscriminately killing people. There and here, by the way. So how do we deal with this? What do we do? I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. My suggestion would be to make the drug situation less impactful here in America? And I don't know what that answer is, because on the one hand, I look at it from a perspective of this would be a very large public health issue in America if we were to decriminalize everything. But are we also then decriminalizing and making or de-emphasizing these types of cartels in the power that they might have. Now, the third rail of all of this is once the genie is out of the bottle, can you put it back in? No. Fentanyl is going to be here to stay. And that is part of how we have to think through what we're actually doing to quote unquote perfect man, the transhumanist um, side of things, if you will, to, to use a word that's becoming more popular. But what are we doing? to try to biomedically perfect humanity? What are we doing? What are the side effects? What are the things that we're not thinking through here as a society? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That needs to apply here. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, we have a more powerful version of an opiate in fentanyl, right? 
Okay, but fentanyl has severe side effects, can cause people to overdose and die very easily because it's so powerful and because it's so synthetic in its nature. I just don't know what the answer is to the war on drugs. I really don't because I see all sides of this, right? I see the devastation of drug use and I <clears throat> wonder if the use of hard drugs like heroin and fentanyl and cocaine and other things <clears throat> do not have severe consequences should we just let it be. However, I also see that magnet argument, right? We're, we're making this more of a magnet if we are keeping it criminal and would fewer people interact with it if it were decriminalized. I don't know that that argument holds water for me, <clears throat> especially because how do you distribute the drugs going forward, if you will? Are, are we going to have fentanyl shops set up here? Are we going to have like Coke shops? Like what, what are we doing? Because that's not healthy for society either. And then I see the immigration side of this and I see the, the issues on the border and I see the, the need to, to gain some level of power and control over these criminal cartels. Because they are harming Americans, because they are doing bad for society. I just don't know what the answer is. I think the answer is to take the power and supply and wealth away from these types of cartels. But then again, are they going to just be inventive enough to find a new way <clears throat> to criminally make money? We've seen it all the time. We've seen it with the mafia. We've seen it with every sort of criminal organization just kind of transforming as things ebb and flow in the world of outlaws. Are we just going to be playing whack-a-mole? Or do you attempt to eradicate? I don't know if that is the answer either because that's going to require some really hard conversations with Mexico, permission with Mexico to help, or more, more importantly, root out all of the corruption, all of the things that are happening inside the, the, the Mexican government. Is, is the president of Mexico going to allow the United States of America to come in and, and do the things that need to get done? I don't know. I don't think they give up their sovereignty like that. But then again, if the corruption is happening within the government and, and the cartels control the government, do we even have an obligation to honor the sovereignty of Mexico? These are all questions that we need to think through and answer eventually because this situation is untenable. But that's just a couple of the stories here. Um, another story that we have to talk about when it comes to drugs. Joe Biden pardoning all prior federal offenses for simple marijuana possession. This is blatant as it comes. This is all about not attempting to change um, society or right or wrong. This is about Joe Biden attempting to win some votes for his party heading into the election. Because if this was really about righting a wrong, you could have done this do, 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 roughly two years ago. 
Joe Biden could have done this about two years ago, folks, but he hasn't. Now, the reason why this goes into the fryer is because this is cynical. Because less than 1% of all federal prisoners, I think it's 0.7 or 0.4%, somewhere in between there, uh, depending on the stats you're using, it's somewhere around like, I think less than 4,000 of the federal prisoners that exist in America are in jail for just simple marijuana possession. Is that going to sway an election? Suddenly you're going to let those people out of jail? Now, do I understand the impact of this on people who have had to claim this on their record when they're trying to get jobs and apartments and all these things? Sure. But there are there are protections in place for people in these situations to not be discriminated against when it comes to housing, when it comes to other things. But here's the other reality. 99.9% of people who are picked up for marijuana possession, that's an that's an additional charge to weapons violations, to trafficking violations, to larger things that put them in prison for what they should be in prison for. Now, the funny and ironic part of all of this is that Joe Biden in his simple marijuana possession um, charge situation being dropped, right, and the, the pardoning of these people, is that he is now dunking on his own vice president. Because Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was on the campaign trail, made sure everybody knew about how tough she was, and especially when she was on her campaign trail for the Senate and the Attorney General, how tough she has been on those who are drug users. Now, it still remains an issue at the state level, too, because you can't get state charges along with federal charges. But do you know how insane of amount of possession of marijuana you have to get to to be federally charged? But again, here, here's Joe Biden dunking on his own VP's record. Oh, by the way, um, all the things that you want to hang your hat on, whoops, we're taking it away. And I'm here for all the dunking on Kamala Harris humanly possible because she is an absolutely terrible person. She is up there with Ayanna Presley, Ilan Omar, uh, Rashida Tlaib, AOC in my book. She is up there with these individuals. Cory Booker is up there with those individuals. I could name at least a half a dozen. I am here for all the dunking on those types of people. It's just really funny and really ironic to me that it's coming from Joe Biden. Now, the other Joe Biden story that goes into the fryer here is Joe Biden saying uh, nobody bleeps with a Biden, and the bleep is the F word, but nobody bleeps with a Biden. And then, you know, he is literally sucking up to the head of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, right? He is literally sucking up to OPEC. And what does OPEC do? Right, because the mighty might of the United States of America and the presidency must be respected. 
Um, OPEC announces two days after that meeting and fist bumping and sucking up to the Saudi crown prince and the, the Saudi government officials that um, Saudi Arabia, who basically leads OPEC, and the rest of the OPEC nations, they're reducing production of oil by 2 million barrels a day. Now, roughly, that's about 2 to 3% of the production, but every single day reducing it by 2 to 3% will eventually and already has had a ripple effect on the price at the pump. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, doing something that ticks off the Saudis so much that they're unwilling to produce more oil, um, heading into an election and, and watching the price at the pump, which people are already ticked off about because it's still 50% higher than it was when you came into office, not saying that it's your fault necessarily, but you have done everything in your power to destroy not just the oil industry, not just gasoline, whatever. You have done everything in your power to destroy the ability for American energy to ebb and flow with the rest of society, right? So we have our strategic reserve at its lowest level since 1984, selling the oil off to places like China or India or other places, putting it on the open market to be sold when it could be needed and used here. Although what we do know about the strategic reserve is that it wouldn't necessarily have a great impact if you released it all here. But it's not just the fact that you've depleted our strategic reserve in the middle of wartime, if you will, right? Because we have no idea what Russia or China are going to do in the next year or two. We have no idea. So wouldn't it behoove us to become more independent, not necessarily isolated, but independent of other sources of energy? That would behoove us, right? That would be the smart play here. We don't need your oil. We don't need your influence. You are not influential in our society. Thus, you're not influential in the world anymore. That would be the smart play. Joe Biden has done none of it, right? Absolutely none of that. What has he done? He has reduced the numbers to the lowest numbers of all time of approved leasing. He killed the Keystone Pipeline. Again, he has depleted our strategic reserves after our previous president had built them to historic levels of, uh, to build them to historic highs, excuse me. And he has no sway, no, no backbone with other foreign leaders. They don't respect him. Now, what you need to know with the OPEC situation is also the fact that as we look at their pricing of oil, the reason they are reducing their production is because it's actually been pretty cheap for them to supply into get oil. So oil per barrel has gone down in price, ironically, to the point where the only response to the supply and demand and the pricing of oil, the only response that OPEC really can have 
in order to quote unquote make more money would be to reduce supply because the the price of a barrel of oil is too low. Now, how is that possible? And we're not seeing the effects of that at the pump. Again, there are other factors involved in this. We currently have uh, supply issues in the United States, especially in the state of Florida um, and in the Carolinas, right? We have all sorts of those types of issues. We have utter inflation, period, amen. We have all sorts of economic issues here. But oil, by and large, have become cheap because of the supply issues, because of some of these other things. Now, they need to gain more. And they're turning the spigot off to pump the price back up so that supply and demand and, and pricing all work in concert. Do I agree with this from the Saudis? No, I don't. I, I don't see how they need to do this. But the fact that President Biden has no influence or no ability to, to forge a, a positive relationship here to the point where they will not not thumb their nose at the president in America speaks volumes. And that's why that's in the fryer. Absolutely in the in the fryer. And I have one final story. This one comes from our favorite, favorite individual from the Washington Post, Taylor Lorenz, who, if you don't know, folks, is immunocompromised. You know who else is technically immunocompromised to a certain degree and a certain level? This guy. Yeah, I have a, a, an autoimmune issue. So, but I want to take on the fallacy here because she went nuts over coworkers' insensitivity and deadly COVID tweeting about how COVID-19 is over and the, the era of insanity over COVID is over. After all, we just saw Howard Stern climb out of his hole for the first time in two plus years and do something outdoors and away from um, uh, the confines of his home. That's certainly a, an interesting way to do it. And it's Helena Olin, her fellow coworker at the Washington Post, pointing out, at some point, we're going to need to begin a conversation about the people still too afraid to leave their homes because of COVID. I personally know of two such cases. This is not a healthy way to live. Taylor Lorenz tweets back, what an absurd absurd, insensitive thing to post. Thousands are dying per week. Millions are disabled and we have zero effective drugs that prevent infection. Wait, 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 wait. But you have told us vaccine, 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 booster, 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 forever. She continues to say immunocompromised people don't deserve condescending comments about being too afraid of a virus that could kill or severely disable us. This is absolutely the insanity that has been caused by COVID-19. Because here's my question to Taylor Lorenz then. Do you not go outdoors or anywhere in public or do anything? Do you Have you been wearing a mask all the time during flu season? Because guess what? If you're immunocompromised and you get the flu, you could die too. Did you know if you took public transportation, uh, uh, touching the surface could get you um, germs and things that could kill you if you're that severely immunocompromised. This is an utter fallacy. 
the fallacy of it's not over for the immunocompromised. It's never over for people like myself and her. Technically, it's never over. Something someday, somewhere, somehow could affect us to the point where it could kill us. But guess what? It could, you could have a heart condition that you don't know about and you could die. You could have all sorts of things in life. But Taylor Lorenz and myself and other people, okay, I'm not out. I'm not out here advocating for everybody else needs to cater to my needs and, and my situation. I know my situation and I know what I should and shouldn't be doing and what I can and can't handle. That's on me. It is not on everybody else to cater to me. If that is the case, nobody should ever, there should be no such thing as public transportation. There should be no such thing as ride shares. There should be no such thing as sharing a vehicle. Um, no, nothing, nothing out there. No, nope, nope, no, no public, nothing. And oh, by the way, don't, don't drive with me. Don't ride with me. Don't do anything. No, that's insane, utter insanity. They've never lived their life like this prior to COVID-19. Not a single one of the people with Crohn's disease, not the single one, um, you know, who has other immunocompromised situations, not a single individual had lived their life so in fear. You know what they did? They would have worn a mask on public transportation. I have seen people like that in the past. That is their choice, right? That is the thing that they need to do to protect themselves. That's fine to give them a better chance of not having an issue. Okay, I fully understand and support that. But to suggest that this this insanity, this response, this the the way people like Howard Stern and Taylor Lorenz and other people have been treating COVID-19 is normal, is healthy, is utterly insane. It is an absolute fallacy that it's not over for the immunocompromised because nothing is just simply waking up during for your day could kill you if you are immunocompromised. If you are so severely immunocompromised as that, you should always be wearing a mask. You should always have all of your shots all the time, blah, 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 blah. How many of you take that that seriously, Taylor Lorenz? You don't. You didn't. You're a hypocrite. And with that, folks, I beg and plead of you to have yourselves a great weekend ahead. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. As always, Matthew 547. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.